Welcome to part two of our series that we're calling Road Trip. Everybody, go ahead and grab out your message notes uh, in the app or in grab out your Bible or your notebooks. Uh, or you can pull up the Victory Church app. We have a fill-in-the-blank version there for you. Uh, you can click on this weekend's message if you like that. I told you last week that this is the year of the road trip. This is the year that vacations got disrupted and plans got changed and things outside of our control happened where maybe uh, your, your summer doesn't look like you thought summer should look like. All the kids say, amen, your summer's just not quite doing what you thought it should do. And so this year, I've noticed that it is the year of the road trip. And no matter the season, summer is a time that we pull away oftentimes, that we kind of uh, unplug from society or we unplug from our work or school, or whatever it is, and we try to slow down our lives. We try to catch our breath. It seems to be like we're just, we're just going until we can hit summer and we can breathe again. Not in Louisiana. Come on, somebody. There's not a whole lot of breathing going on when we're in 150-degree weather. But many of us go on vacation, and we try to reevaluate our lives over the summer. We try to come back in the fall with a new purpose or a new vigor. We try to rest. And I want the series of the church to match the season of life that we're in. And so that's why here in July, we're doing this series called Road Trip, because I told you last week that rest shouldn't be a time that we pull back and we try to just catch our breath. And then we try to re-enter the frantic pace of our life that we try to just re-enter everything that we're doing and as fast as we can possibly go in our frantic lives. And we're just trying to do it. Vacation and rest should be a time that we pull back and we unplug. But then we reevaluate. We try to look at the why behind the what that we're doing. We reevaluate the things that we're doing. We reevaluate some of the goals that we're pursuing, some of the things that we put into priority. And we reconnect with the purpose that God has for our lives. And so as we go through this series, this time of rest, and maybe you've made some choices about how that rest is going to look like after last week. But as we go through those, I just want to encourage you to begin to get a renewed sense of purpose. Renewed sense of passion for what God has given you to do. So next week, we're going to conclude the series uh, with one of the most important parts of the journey. And we're going to conclude the series with what makes the journey the sweetest, and that is the people in the car. That is the people that you've chosen to journey around you, the ones that you've chosen to go on the trip. I told you last week we had a guy who was the first among us to get GPS on his phone, and so we chose him every road trip. He was first in the car because he was the most useful to us. But next week we'll conclude with that series, and I want to talk to you a little bit about that. But this week I want to talk to you a little bit as, because we've chosen to take the road trip, and so now I want to talk to you about the road map about how you choose where you're going to go, about how you, when you reevaluate your life, how you choose what the next destination is, how you begin to choose what God's purpose and how you begin to see what his purpose is for your life. And so now that we're on vacation, we identified last week the identifiers of why you maybe need to take a rest, uh, some things that show in your life that maybe, uh, maybe it's a good chance to pull back and maybe it's a good chance. Now you have to plan for what's next. And so this morning, I just want to talk to you about the manual that God has given us for that roadmap, the roadmap God has given us to see where he wants us to go. All right, so we're going to talk about those. And some of you have them with you in digital or paper form. But I have in my hands now a prophetic book, everybody. All right, and it is not the Bible. This is, I went on Amazon last week and I bought myself a road atlas. Come on, somebody. This is, this is the 2021 road atlas, everybody. So this is predicting where the roads will be next year. Uh, this is just prophesying that over them. But I, I went and bought this thing and I went looking at the, uh, come on somebody, this thing is huge. This thing is the biggest. I, I went looking, who else is buying this in this day and age? I looked at the reviews. There's like 24 reviews. This is not a hot seller on Amazon. All right. I don't know if the company is pivoting to something else, but this is not selling out. It's like me and an 85 year old man in Missouri. All right. So that is, that is all that's buying this thing at this point in time. So God bless you, 85 
year-old man in Missouri. But I went to college in Tennessee. And so my freshman year of college, when I left the state line, this is how I navigated the country around us, all right? This is my, an uncle of mine gave me an old beat-up copy of a road atlas where most of the roads were missing. So I appreciate the 2021 copy of this. But that was how I navigated up the 59 into Tennessee country, up the 75. And it's how I got around. And I remember thinking when I was 18 years old, where has this been all my life? Since I started learning to drive at 15, I would get lost constantly. Come on, somebody. I had no idea that this thing existed, that this would help me. I just get lost everywhere. And when you turn 16, they don't allow anyone in the car, right? When you're going places, except your parents. And you don't want to bring your parents places when you're 16. And so when I would go places, I was constantly late. Not because I left late, but because I just was driving up and down every road in the vicinity of where I wanted to go, trying to find where it was. And so I got to know Baton Rouge really well because I drove every square inch of it. All right, everybody, I just I drove around all the time. But this is how you use what it looks like to use a paper thing. And all you young people can come and see it afterwards if you've never seen one before. But this is how you navigate with a paper. And I just want to talk this morning for a few moments about the roadmap that God has given us. That's greater than any road atlas that Rand McNally can put out, greater than anything, any GPS or anything like that, that God has given us the roadmap in his word. That he's given us this thing that helps us to get from where we are to where God wants us to be. And we talk about that a lot here at Victory. How we want to come alongside of you in your journey of faith. How we want to help you to grow. How we want you to take the next step and the next step in your journey and in your Christian walk. We want to help you in any way we can to take that step. And so I want to encourage you this morning with the number one way that you can learn what those steps are that God has given us in his word. That God has given us the roadmap for the way that we should live for the life that he's called us to, for the things that he wants to speak to us. And it's an incredible book. It was written over a period of 1,600 years. You start to think how long a period of time that is. 1,600 years on 12 different countries, three different continents, by 40 different contributors. It's incredible. Just from a literary standpoint, it is an incredible book from a historical, but it tells one story, and the theme is the same throughout. It's got one thread throughout all of the Bible. It tells one story. It's coherence in one idea, one thing that it's culminating in. And that is because there are several writers, but there's only one author. There's only one author of the word of God, and that is God himself. There were contributors that got inspired. And I want to show it to you out of your Bible. So 2 Timothy, in your notes, watch this. All scripture. Notice that all scripture is inspired by God. So that is that when all these human writers begin to pen down what God had for them to write... The portions of the Bible, the books that are included in our Bible, when they begin to write those, that the Holy Spirit inspired them what to write. God is the author behind the words. Now, God used humans to write different books and different sections and all those things, but all of it is inspired to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Come on, somebody. The Bible is there to teach us what is true. So the things that are actually true and then to teach us what is wrong in our lives, it corrects us when we are wrong. And it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and to equip his people to do every good work. So we have to understand how to use this thing. If this is God's word given to us, and it is, then we have to understand that it is useful to prepare us for every good work. It is useful to teach us what is right and what is wrong. It is useful to prepare us for the lives God has called us to live. And so if we're going to understand the roadmap, I want to come at it from two different perspectives today. First, theologically. Uh, And then practically, you know, I love both sides of that. And I think we need both of those to make this thing go. All right. So John chapter one, verse one, we're going to start in the first verse of this chapter. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. This is speaking about Jesus and the word was God. 
So in the beginning, before there were tablets and before there were scrolls and before there was paper and a printing press, before there was any of that, before even a person had been inspired to write them, the word of God, God is saying, God is the word. That in the beginning, and I'll show you in just a moment what that means, but in the beginning, God was the word and the word was God. In the beginning, that was the word. And you watch this because then God began to inspire different writers to write down what he was speaking. God began to inspire those things. And you see a story start to take place. And it's not man's story, it's God's story. You begin to see the story of God begin to to lay out as he begins to speak and inspire them to write it down. And it all points to one thing because there's the fall of mankind. And then there's the covenant that's given in the promise. And then a hundred years later, there's the law. Then there's the 12 tribes and then there's the exile. And you see all of this happening and God is beginning to tell this story, begin to move things because it all culminates. Watch this. John gives us a 10,000 foot view of what the Bible is about. Because it all culminates in verse 14. Watch this later in the chapter. He says, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word became a person, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and full of truth. It all culminates, the entire story, the thread, everything, the story that God was writing, it all culminates in Jesus Christ. Everything. He brings the new covenant. He is the fulfillment of the law. He broke sin's curse. Jesus fulfills every single part of it. The whole story is about him. Every part of your Bible points to him. Anybody who tells you different is selling you something. Come on, somebody. Everything points to him. And what's incredible is when the word became flesh... Not only did Jesus begin to teach us even more, but he began to model the life that we're supposed to live. So the word became flesh, and even with speaking more words to teach us and still living out and showing us the life that we're supposed to live, the relationship with the Father, the love we're supposed to have for one another, he began to show us the life that we're supposed to live for God. Now, if you've ever read the book of Leviticus, you cheer when you hear the new life that Jesus has called us to live. Come on, somebody. Because I know that Leviticus is in our yearly Bible reading, but I think a lot of you fake read it, to be honest with you. I think a lot of you, like last year, I just, confession's good for the soul, bad for the reputation. Last year, I skipped it. Come on, somebody. I just couldn't take it anymore. I skipped it. That doesn't have anything to do with anything. But Jesus comes on the scene here, not only teaching and preaching and expounding and showing the word of God, he's modeling how we should live. Now watch this in John chapter 6, because Jesus talks about the words that he speaks. The word that God speaks. He says, now, the words that I say, it's the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help. The words that I have spoken to you, watch this, are spirit and their life. The words that I'm speaking are spirit. Now, that word spirit there uh, in the Greek, it's translated spirit here, but it's not the exact word for the Greek word because there is no exact English word for this Greek word pneuma. Because Jesus is saying the words that I've spoken are pneuma. And it literally means that when God speaks... He not only speaks, but there's power in those words, that the spirit comes alongside of that, that there's power to fulfill what he says, that when God speaks, it's not just someone just speaking something. It's when he speaks in the words that he speaks are the power to fulfill what he said. Most literal translation is the word breath. It's the word breath. Now, that wouldn't make a lot of sense to us in English. It's why they didn't translate it that way, because they would say, the words that I speak to you are breath. And we would just kind of gloss over that verse. It wouldn't make a lot of sense to us. But it's the breath of God. This is the breath that speaks things into existence. Saying the words that I speak, actually in Armenian, I'm half Armenian, if you didn't know. In Armenian, the Bible is called Asfas Ashuns. It's called the breath of God. 
It's the word of God. It's the words that he is speaking. Genesis 1, that God said, let there be light, and there was light. He speaks it into existence. And so this concept that Jesus is saying, the words that I speak, they are spirit. They are pneuma. They have the power to fulfill themselves. The power goes out when God speaks. And so he never just says something. He also sends the power alongside of what he just spoke to fulfill it. And so watch this now. That's what makes the book come alive. Watch it in Hebrews chapter 4. For the word of God is alive and it's active. The words that God speaks, it's alive and it's active, sharper than any double-edged sword. So it will mess with you. Come on, somebody. It will change your life. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. Now that is theological speak, for it will get up all in your business. It will mess with your emotions. It'll mess with your lifestyle. It will mess with all of your decisions. It will get up all in. And it says, joints and marrow judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And so I want you to see this again, that the words that God speaks, not, they're not just words, but they're power. That when God speaks to you, and let me put it this way, you're not just getting information, you're getting the power to carry it out. Come on, I'll amen myself this morning if you won't do it. You're getting the power to carry out what he is saying. So then, what is our response? I want to tell you this morning, it's to build our lives on the word of God. It's to build our lives. Jesus talks about it in Matthew chapter 7. He says, the person who hears my words and does them is like a wise man who builds his house on the strong foundation. The person who hears the words of Jesus and carries them out, he says, is like a wise man because the rains and the storms are coming. Jesus spends the next few verses saying, storms are coming, the rain is coming, that day is coming. And when those rains beat against the house, most people's houses will crumble because they're not built on the word of God. But if you build it on his word, says the house stands strong. And so that's what I want for you. I cannot stop storms from coming. I cannot stop the storms of life. There is no verse that promises no storms in life. In fact, there are plenty of verses that promises uh, the alternative. Storms are coming. But if we build our house on the word of God, if we begin to, to actually have that respect for the word of God and begin to build it into our lives and everything that we do is based upon it, then the house stands strong. So then you ask the question, how? Like, how can I actually do that this week? Because the theological side is great, and I want to understand that. But then how do we live it out in our practical day-to-day life? And I want to devote the second half of this message just to saying how we can do it. How does this work even today and tomorrow and this week in our lives? How to use the roadmap that we understand what it's trying to say to us, and we're able to apply it to ourselves. So number one, if you want to take notes, jot this down if you're taking it. First thing we have to do is we have to submit to its authority. Now, that word submit shows up all kinds of times in the Bible. Oftentimes, it's, it's accompanied by the word humility and humbling ourselves and being able to submit. And so this word, we have to submit to the Bible's authority. And this is a big deal because of what we just talked about, that the Bible is a powerful, actually supernatural book. That it is the only book on the planet that carries along the power to fulfill itself. That the power is actually in the words that God has spoken, but it doesn't benefit you supernaturally until you first recognize that it has the utmost authority in your life, that it's utmost. I'll show it to you in Hebrews chapter 4. Watch this. Paul, is, uh, the writer of Hebrews is writing, For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message that they heard, watch this, the same gospel that they had heard first, just as they had heard it, but the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now, watch what I'm saying. I'm not saying that I'm not diluting the gospel, that somehow it was of no value in this situation. But watch how it words it. It was of no value to them. 
Because it was not met, one translation says it did not meet with faith in those who heard it. There was no faith mixed in when they heard the message. But you read it in faith. So if you read it, if you read the Bible and there is no faith, there is no submission to its authority, there is no belief in its truth. If you read the Bible, then the Psalms are just a bunch of pretty songs. And you read it and say, well, the stories are kind of fun and, and the advice maybe is pretty good. But you read it in faith. Faith will take the natural in your life and make it supernatural. Faith will take the natural in your life and make it supernatural. When it happens in your heart, you believe it's true, then the Bible has the power to fulfill all the promises. It already has the power inside of it, but in your life, when you mix it with faith, then it's the benefit of the supernatural in your heart. Then it's the benefit. Just like the Christian life, where we begin just to to believe in faith and submit to this as the highest authority in the way that we live. It's like the GPS on your phone, if you can think of it that way, where you type in, right, where you want to go, and you say, this is where I am right now, and then it'll give you step-by-step instructions. But if you don't believe that, it's actually going to take you where it is, so you're not going to follow those instructions. You're not going to do it. Come on, how many people, how many people distrust their GPS on their phone already, all right? That's just me, because I have trust issues because of raisin oatmeal cookies. Come on, somebody. I just have, I have some trust issues, right? Fool, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, raisin Oatmeal cookies, shame on me, right? Because you're not chocolate chip. And I know that now. But the second reason that I have trust issues is because of MapQuest. Come on, if you remember MapQuest, I don't know how many times I printed those directions out and I carried them and followed them to a T and I ended up nowhere. Like I am not, and it says at the end, right? You have arrived at your destination. I have not. This isn't even a road. Like this is not where I'm supposed to be. And I, I have trust issues. compared. And even nowadays with the apps and all the technology, there's still one that I don't, I'm just going to burn them down. Apple Maps, everybody. I don't trust it as far as I can throw it. Come on, somebody. It's just, it's wrong too often for me to be comfortable with my mapping application. And so we have, con- we have conflict in my house because my wife, Alyssa, will just click on whatever the default app is. And it's usually Apple Maps. And that just, it gets it wrong every time. Come on, I am, I am scarred emotionally from all the times it has gotten it wrong. But you put in those things, and so I, I'm trying to zoom out, right? Even if it tells me I'm going where I think I put in to go. After about two or three turns, I'm like, zoom out, zoom out. Like, where, where is this thing taking me? And I think a lot of times we do that with the Bible. Where we start to pull back and say, well, I don't know if I trust that. Or I don't know. I just, I want to see the end game. I want to see everything that's going to happen. Like, is there like a, a concordance or something? Like, where is, where is the end part where everything, I just want to know where God is leading me. And I don't know if I trust that. And if we don't trust it, then the power can't be unleashed in our life. If we don't believe it to be the highest authority, you say, well, I don't completely understand everything that's written in it. Well, I don't completely understand digestion, everybody, but I still eat. All right? It's still, I'm actually thankful that I serve a God that is bigger than what I can understand. Because if I served a God that I could understand inside and out, he wouldn't be worth serving. If I served a power that I could understand everything about, that it wouldn't be worth. It'd be a God that could fit into my own mind. And we may have questions about the Bible this side of eternity and questions about the life we're supposed to live, and that's okay. God hasn't called us to understand everything. He's called us to trust. He's called us to have faith. And somewhere along the way, I promise you, he brings revelation, he brings understanding. But the Bible says this, 1 Thessalonians. Watch this. He's writing to the Thessalonians. He says, we also thank God continually because when you received... Now contrast this with the group in Hebrews. When you received... The word of God and time out right there, because that word received is actually the concept of receiving a stranger into your home. 
It's the concept of receiving and welcoming a stranger. It's the same concept we're talking about, where this thing might be new to me. It might be strange to me. I might not understand it. I might not know you, but I'm receiving him into my home. I'm actually bringing it in. I might not understand everything, but I'm accepting with open arms. I'm bringing the word of God into my life. I'm welcoming it. And even though I may not completely understand, it says you accepted it. You received it, which you heard from us. You accepted it. Watch this. Not as a human word, but as it actually is. The word of God. And I just want to encourage you this morning that when you hold your Bible, that you begin to accept it. You submit to its authority, not as a human word, but as the words of God. As the words that God is speaking, which is indeed, and watch this, watch now that it's at work. Why is it at work? In you who believe. In those of you that believe, it works in you. It's amazing, this process of having to accept its authority in our life. It's authority, the highest authority in the way that we live in your life and in mine. We accept this book as the highest authority. It is the inerrant, infallible, inspired word of God. It is the word of God. And so we measure our lives against it. We measure all of our teaching. We measure everything that we do, all the way that we lived. It is the highest standard. All of our preaching, all of our teaching, all of our decision making, everything that we do is based on the word of God. If you ever hear me say anything that is not the word of God, listen to the word of God, everybody. All right. And somebody hit me over the side of the head with a two by four. We just, if you ever hear anything that goes against it. And so society will try to come and say, well, you know, it's great. And it's a nice literary work and it's historical. And it's it's something you maybe can learn from the Proverbs, but it's a lot of 2000 year old philosophies and, you know, things have changed. Listen to me, everybody. God's word has never been wrong. Culture changes. God's word does not change. God's word does not. It's the same yesterday, today and forever. The words that he speaks, no word will fall to the ground without being fulfilled. The word of God does not change. And in fact, we need to live our lives by it. And so we're going to live to its standard. It might not always be the most popular thing to do. And we don't have to be ugly about it. In fact, we should not be ugly about it. That's a sermon for another day. But in fact, we have to stand on the principles of God. Number two, jot it down if you're taking notes. Not enough to just accept it. Now we have to learn what it says. Come on, somebody. We're going to be practical today, all right? We need to learn. We got to get the truth off the pages and into our lives. A few ways we can do that. The first one is what you would expect by reading God's word. You've got to read God's word. You know how many people gave their lives so we could have a copy in our own language? That God's word could be copied into a language that people could read across the world. People gave their life for that. And we shouldn't take it lightly. We need to begin to read God's word. You want to assimilate it into your life. The first step is by reading it, getting it off the page and into our lives. It needs to become life to us. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, he said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's that God's word should become so vital to us that it is life to us. That it is just as important, if not more important, than eating. Just as it doesn't make sense to only physically eat once a week, it doesn't make sense to only spiritually eat once a week. Come on, I'm going to step on every toe this morning, all right? I just want to encourage you to read your Bible. It is powerful. It is one of the most powerful things that you can do in your life is to begin to read the words that God has spoken to us because I promise you it'll change your perspective. It'll change your outlook on things. It will begin to change the way that you live. It'll change you from the inside out. It is the power of God. This is the words that God is speaking to us. And you don't have to... Read along with us. We have the one-year Bible in the app that we read every day, a little portion from it. And you don't have to read from that uh, if you don't want to. There's a million different ways that you can read the Bible. You can download the YouVersion app. 
There's devotionals that you can buy. There's different things that you can do to begin to read your Bible. Go, you can buy a paper Bible. Come on, somebody say amen, right? They made it in a paperback, everybody. Come on. <laughs> Just, this is heresy to some of you, right? This is borderline heresy. Now, I am Mr. Technology around here. Let me just say that. I love my phone and I love, you know, doing everything on my laptop. And, and I love that I can access devotions from all over the world. I love that it's always with me uh, and that you can access the word of God everywhere. But I also have like my Bible. And if I could encourage you with something just practical today is get a Bible, a paper Bible. If you don't have one, we would love to give one to you this morning. All right. We have them out there on the table in the foyer. If you don't have a Bible, take one. All right. We, there's no strings attached. We're not asking for your email or your number. Just take it. Take two Bibles. We want you to have that. Begin to take notes. Begin to write your devotions in there. Because this is my Bible. And I love this Bible. I've had it for almost 12 years now. And I love that I can read this thing and I can write in the margins and I can study and I got pictures of my kids in here. Come on, somebody. And I can read this thing and I love my Bible. This is my Bible, not your Bible, all right? This is mine. And I I love that I can go through this in times of life where it's been with me in the darkest times and it's been with me in the mountaintops. And along the way, I can write in God's faithfulness next to verses that he's given me. And when I go back and I reference those, And I see what God has done or if I'm seeking God for an answer and I write it next to a verse and then I come back and write when he gives that answer and it shows the faithfulness of God. And so if you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to get one. Like, I don't know where it is in the Bible. I know where it is in this Bible. Come on, somebody, right? Like, I know it's on the left at the top. Like, I just just know this is my Bible. And so I want you to have that. And I can quote you statistics about studies that show comprehension and retention and all of that. I won't do that. You know, the number one reason I want you to have a Bible, like a Bible, the book Bible, is that you're not able to click on links when you're reading. And you're not able to go and the app doesn't pop up with a notification. Listen to me, everybody. This thing doesn't ring when you're reading it. All right. That should be reason enough right there. And I'm not discounting the digital. I I thank God for everything that we do here at the church, that we have the digital app, that we have the live streams that go out, uh, that we have all these different things that I want you to use it in whatever medium it would be available to you. I think that's first and foremost. In fact, there was a story a few years back when they started adding cameras to cell phones. It's been about 20, 15, 20 years. And when they first started doing it, all the traditional photographers got so offended that people had cameras on their cell phones. And so they went to a photographer who took pictures for the Times and they asked him, what is the best camera? It was just part of an interview with him. And this is a guy who owns hundreds of thousands of dollars of lenses and different camera bodies, all the styles. And he gave an answer that I loved. He said, the best camera is the one that you have with you. The best camera is the one that you've got. Because I don't care how nice your camera is. If it's at home, you're not getting the picture. And I don't care how leather engraved and heavy your Bible is. If it's on the shelf. Come on, somebody. I want you to use the Bible that you've got with you. But we also want to give you a Bible. We want to give you that opportunity just to encourage you. Start marking it and start reading it. Amen, everybody? Second way that we get God's word, we learn what it says by hearing God's word. By hearing it taught. And lest you think I am trumpeting my own powers of oration and my own speaking, let me tell you what I pray every Sunday morning when I step on this stage. I pray this prayer that God would use the words that I'm saying in between the verses to either explain or to give context, and then he shuts me up. Because the words of God is where the power is. That's where the power of the Bible is. I don't know if that offends you or offends me, but that's where the power is. The words of Ben have no power. It's the word of God that has the power. And hearing the word brings the faith. You know the story Jesus tells about the sower, where he says that there was a sower who goes out and he spreads the seed, which is the word being spread out, the gospel being spread. And he says that some of it falls on the ground and on the path and it's eaten up by the birds. And it's, he's giving this demonstration of when the word is being sent out. And then he says this phrase, and I love this in Luke. 
He says, therefore, consider carefully how you listen. You want to begin to grow in faith this year. Consider carefully how you listen to the word of God. Consider carefully how you get it into your life. And I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're here this morning. Come on, somebody. You're here on a July morning here in the church or you got up on vacation and you streamed it live, right? You are, you are the faithful of the faithful. And you're asking, what more do you want from me? Nothing is the answer, all right? I love you. This is awesome. I don't want anything more. But I'm just telling you that it's important that we begin to hear God's word. It's why we stream every service. It's why we archive everything. It's why we have 4,000 different services streamed during the prayer service. Because we realize we have to, in every way that we can, get the word of God into your life. In every way that we can to get the word of God into your mind. The last one we do that is by exploring God's word. Jot it down if you're taking notes. We have to explore God's word that when we study it, when we see it, and the best way that you can possibly do this that I believe is in relationship. It's in talking about it with others. It's in discussing the verses. Because when you begin to discuss that in a safe relationship, in a small group or in a church setting, whenever you begin to discuss that with others, you start to see it from their vantage point. Or you start to see a a different scripture that maybe you didn't read or that you didn't see. And you begin to talk about what you're studying in your own devotion. And you begin to talk about what God is doing in your own life. And you begin to talk about maybe the weekend message or, or what you're studying as a group. When you begin to study those things, it begins to get inside of you. And you begin to live it out. David said this in Psalms 119, verse 11. He said, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. David's saying, I put your word deep inside of me. I've gotten it. I've gotten the learned part of it. That then this miracle takes place, this pattern of sin that I'm stuck in, this thing that I keep going back to, this thing that I know is wrong, but I can't seem to shake free of. I put your word inside of me. Your word is what I meditate on. Your word is inside of me so that this miracle can take place. That I can get out of that pattern of sin. That it can work it out of me. I've hidden your word in my heart. When you begin to talk over those things, I promise you, you'll never get to that place until God's word gets into your life. You want to, all of us want to be in that place when, until it gets in our life. And then you get around people that can hold you accountable. People that can grow you. That as iron sharpens iron, that you can begin to grow in the faith. And the power that's in the book begins to fulfill itself in your life. And you'll find your life changing. The miracle takes place. So that number three, as we close, we begin to apply it to our lives. This is where we're working towards. We begin to apply it in our lives. In fact, I would venture to say that this is where most of us live, myself included. I think most of us, if you've been in church a while, you agree that it is the highest authority. You agree that it is the thing that we should live our life by. And you probably know most of what's in it. John Maxwell says most Christians are educated far beyond their level of obedience. You probably know what's inside. Problem is for most of us, myself included, is we don't do what we know. We know what we should be doing, but we don't do it. We know what we shouldn't do, and yet we still find ourselves doing it anyway. Maybe we don't have the right kind of community around us, or maybe we valued knowledge over lifestyle. I don't know. But I do know this. Watch this in James. James tells us, he says, don't be deceived. Don't merely listen to the word. He says, don't just read it. Don't just just learn about it as much as you can. Don't just memorize the entire Bible. Do what it says. So don't just don't just live your life saying, well, I just got to get more knowledge. I need more knowledge. You have to actually do what it says. You have to apply it to your life. Now, I'm telling you, church, all right, listen to me. I'm not a Bible salesman. I don't get a kickback, right, every time you go out and buy a bunch of Bibles. That's not what I'm trying to do. Victory doesn't get commissioned every time you open the app. It's a free kind of deal. None of that matters. But what I am interested in growing you and seeing you take the next step in your spiritual journey. And until you apply God's word to your life, you begin to live it out. That will never happen. 
And I remember the moment in my own Christian journey. I'll never forget the moment that God's word changed for me. That it became not just rules and things that I was trying to memorize or things that I, I thought were a good idea or something, but it changed for me and it became actually the living word of God. And I'll never forget it because I, I stopped reading the Bible and the Bible started reading me. Every time I would read the words, it began to speak to something in my life. And I want that for you. With every part of me, I want that for you. I'm not trying to grow a crowd. I'm trying to grow you. I want you to grow in your Christian faith. Listen to me, everybody. It is the most read, the most translated, the most copied book in the entire world. And it is God's word. Its importance cannot be overstated. It is the word of God. And if you'll fall in love with it, if during this season or this series, if you'll really begin to look at it with a fresh perspective, begin to honor his word and submit to its authority, begin to work it into your life and apply its principle, I promise you it will change the trajectory of your life. Amen, everybody? Would you bow your heads with me as we close in prayer today? Father, I just ask you right now for our church. God, I ask you that you begin to make your word alive in our lives. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you that you have spoken to us. That we can know you better through your word. That we can see the roadmap for the lives that we're called to live. In Jesus' name. Now I want to pray a prayer over our church that we would begin to live in community. Begin to apply his word. But before I do that, I just want to speak to you briefly this morning. To anybody who's here. And maybe you see yourself even before that first step. You haven't submitted to its authority and your life is in chaos. And I want you to know that's probably a sign that you're far from God because God always brings peace and order when he comes. And so in your own life, if you're experiencing disorder and chaos in your own life, then I want to just pray with you this morning. If you say God feels like he's a million miles away, I want to fix that with one prayer. One prayer of submission to him. And so if that's you today, I want to pray with you before we leave I want you to know I'm not going to make you raise your hand. I'm not going to make you come to the front. I'm not going to make you, I'm not going to single you out. I won't make you stand up after we're done. This isn't about embarrassing you. It's about connecting you with Jesus. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray this prayer and I just can give you the words, but you have to say them and mean them in your own life. It's a prayer of submission to him. And it's acknowledgement of what Jesus did on the cross. So the church is going to pray this with you. If that's you, you want to make that decision today. Just say these words. Come on, church, let's pray it. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for what you did on the cross. Forgive me of all my sins, of all my mistakes. I surrender my life. Now say these words. I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. That every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, I thank you for everyone in our church. I pray, God, that as we open your word this week, that it would come alive to us. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you'll come alongside of us and activate these words that we can truly change. God, help us to be set free. Help us to fall deeply in love with your word. And Father, we thank you again that you've given us the blueprint. You've given us the roadmap. You've given us the steps you want us to live out. We give you all the praise and all the glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's church said amen and amen. Can we put our hands together for what God has done today? Come on, church.